You're listening to Comedy Central. Do you guys celebrate Twitter? <laughs> oh, okay, well, anyway, um, Twitter announced today they have a new feature that they're gonna be rolling out. It's like a paid subscription, it's called Twitter Blue. And basically you pay, I think it's $3 a month, and they'll give you like top, top tier features such as you can like redo a tweet, but within 30 seconds of, of writing it. Which I know some of you right now, like Trevor, are they making us pay $3 just to like wait? Yeah. You're paying $3 for like, it's just like a mo, like if you read your own tweets before you send them, you don't need this feature. But if you're the kind of person who like is prone to like sending tweets and then being like, ah, immediately, then this is a great feature for you. I should, I should, sometimes I scroll Twitter and then I'm like, what am I doing here? If they paid me $3 a month, then I'll be like, ah, this, what am I doing here? Yes, I get paid, all right, and then I scroll. <laughs> I would do it. I think there's just other ways to make money. They're still better than Facebook though, so. Coming to you from the heart of Times Square in New York City, the only city in America. It's The Daily Show, ears edition. Tonight, Christmas comes too early. Are bees racist? And Emily Ratajkowski. This is The Daily Show with Trevor Noah. Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome to The Daily Show. I am Trevor Noah. Joining me for today's headlines is the one and only Ronnie Chang. How you doing, Ronnie? Hey, I'm good. Thanks for having me back in here, finally. Nice comfy seat. What do you mean, finally, like you were waiting? Yeah, I mean, I've been waiting all week to get asked back. It's so hard to get an invite to this goddamn show. There's no invite. There's just like different people and then like you guys like, you know? Trying to mess around. Yeah, I get it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for giving me the comfy seat, though. No one ever gets the comfy seat. Because I'm special. Right, Trevor? It's also the other seat was out to be cleaned, right. so. Okay, well. <laughs> you look well, good in it, though. Thank you, yeah. You look very Just good. I like that. Could use a cigar and a scotch, though, but I mean. No. No smoking or drinking on the show. Probably. All right. Let's get into today's headlines. We're going to get to the big news from Washington and around the world, but let's kick things off with a story about Christmas. It's the reason you let the fat man from the mall break into your house. Every year, people complain about it coming earlier and earlier. But this year, someone is doing something about it, finally. Someone posted a photo of a sign from a Texas bar. It says in all caps, Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas is You will be skipped if played before December 1st on the jukebox. After December 1st, the song is only allowed one time per night. I don't hate Mariah Carey and I don't hate Christmas. But the general manager of Stone Lee P says customers play Mariah's mega hit too often and too soon before Christmas. One person tweeted, is this the war on Christmas I've heard about? The star responded with a photo of herself in body armor, ready for battle. Yeah, you better believe she's ready for battle. This song gets her a new mansion every year. You better back the f off. And people shouldn't blame Mariah Carey that her song is so popular. Really, what we should be pissed off at is all the classic Christmas songs for being so trash. That's why everyone has to play Mariah Carey all the time. Like, deck the halls with boughs of holly? What is that? It's not a carol. Those are just instructions. And what about, I saw mommy kissing Santa Claus? That kid is watching his parents' marriage fall apart. And that's supposed to put me in the holiday spirit? And don't forget, Silent Night. You know how hard it is to have sex to that song? Like, I mean, I've done it, but it's work. This is trash. Yeah, you don't want to mess with uh, American pop star fan bases, by the way. People go pretty crazy at that stuff. Yeah. Like, one time I forgot to put the apostrophe on Beyonce's name, and the Bayhive came on my Instagram hard. They just kept coming, man. Like, they're not like your fans. You know what I mean? Your fans are like pussies. Like, I can talk shit about you all day, no one ever comes after me. 
I, I don't know. I think they get pretty angry. Oh, okay. I don't know. I mean, we could try right now. I mean, Trevor, enough with the book already. Okay, we get it. You're born a felon or you murdered someone as a baby. Okay, we got it. Enough. Enough with the apartheid stuff, all right? It's very depressing. Come after me. Come after me, Trevor Heads, or what do you call your fan base? Africans with a, with a K, so it's not racist. Or maybe it makes it more racist. I don't know. Just come after me, guys. They're going to come for you, Ronnie. They're not coming for me. They're, they're not come like, for you. They're not like Mariah Carey fans. I, I hope my fans are. They're going to come for you. No, they don't care. And they're going to make you regret what you said, and they're going to ask you to apologize. Come at me, guys. I'm right here. At Ronnie Chang. All right, let's move on from the war against Mariah Carey to the war against COVID. Governments around the world are using every tool at their disposal to convince holdouts to get vaccinated. They're offering them money, they're laying down mandates, they're threatening to ban them from the NFL Hall of Fame, and now Singapore has decided to hit the unvaccinated where it hurts most, their wallets. One country will no longer foot the bill for unvaccinated patients. Singapore says anyone who is unvaccinated by choice will not get free COVID treatment. Right now, the government is paying for treatment for any resident who is sick with COVID. 85% of eligible people in Singapore are fully vaccinated. The governor says people who don't want to be vaccinated make up the bulk of new cases and hospitalizations. Ooh, Singapore isn't messing around. In America, if you say you don't want the vaccine, the government is like, please, please take the vaccine, please. We'll give you money. Singapore's like, okay, okay, it's gonna be like that. Oh, well, you best bring your checkbook to the hospital then because those ventilators are by the hour, bitch. They really don't mess around in Singapore, man. Don't forget, this is the same country that'll cane your ass just for littering. They're like the parents down the block that actually do the shit that you threaten your kids with. You're just like, don't make me count to three. Then you look out the window and Singapore is stuffing their kid into a cannon. I told you the toilet roll goes over, not under. And look, I understand the argument here. Why shouldn't you have to pay for your preventable health problems? I mean, would it be fair for you to pay the same rates as the guys from Jackass? Most people don't have to be treated for being rolled down a mountain in a porta party. It's not fair. But at the same time though, it is a slippery slope because using that logic, should alcoholics pay for their own liver transplants? Should overweight people pay for their heart medication? Should New York Jets fans have to pay for their own antidepressants? Where do you draw the line? Hmm? It's a sticky situation. Yeah, but in Singapore, Trevor, I, I don't think people realize Singapore is saying that if you don't take the COVID vaccine, you have to pay for your COVID treatment, which is a huge deal in Singapore because Singapore essentially has universal health care. So for them to come out and say, you are gonna pay for your own stuff. If you don't take the COVID vaccine, we're gonna treat you like an American. That's huge. That's, that's a punishment in Singapore? In Singapore, being treated like an American in the healthcare system is the biggest punishment you could give someone. Damn. So you're gonna have to worry about your co-pays, you're gonna have to look at your disbursements, you have to call Blue Cross, Blue Shield, you have to find someone in network. In Singapore, we just, the healthcare system just works. Like we never, you know, I, it, I can't explain this in five seconds, so no one's gonna care, but essentially it takes like free market principles and socialist principles and combines them together. All they care about is efficiency in Singapore. They don't politicize solutions, which is why it's so weird in America where everything, I've never even heard the word socialism until I got here. I mean, we just care about inputs versus outputs. You know what I mean? I'm, I mean, I hear you. I, I was in Singapore and they, that explains a lot of like everything there. Yeah. It's, it's all just about extremely efficient. Yeah. What is the best thing and then they just do it? Yeah, we don't care about 
labeling stuff. We're not about labels. Just go for it. But then that's weird because like you've spent a lot of time living in Singapore and you, you label me all the time. Yeah, but that's, well, in America. That's why I came here for the label things and people. Oh, <laughs> so in Singapore, you'd be nicer to me. Oh, 100%, yeah. This wouldn't even, we couldn't even do this show in Singapore. We'd be arrested immediately. <laughs> Singapore, you'll live forever, but you'll have way less fun. Okay. Yeah. All right, well, before we move to Singapore, let's move uh, to Washington, D.C. You know, it's like Washington Marvel, but not as good. Over the weekend, after months of fighting between liberal and moderate Democrats, the House finally passed America's biggest infrastructure bill in decades. It's gonna do things like repair America's crumbling bridges, fix America's crumbling roads, and vacuum up the mess from America's crumbling Nature Valley granola bars. Who makes those things? Why do they never stick to kids like you don't have any anyway? And even though this bill was mostly passed along party lines, it wouldn't have gotten through if 13 Republicans hadn't voted for it too, which a lot of their fellow Republicans are now really pissed about. In fact, Donald Trump said the Republicans who voted to fix America's infrastructure should be ashamed of themselves. And Marjorie Taylor Greene, she called them traitors who are helping the communist takeover of America. Which I know sounds crazy, but think about it. How are Soviet tanks gonna invade America? over the newly refurbished roads and bridges. That's why you gotta keep your infrastructure broken. It's called Homeland Security, people. But for some Republicans who helped to pass the infrastructure bill, those comments from Trump and Green were actually the nicer ones. One member of Congress says he's been harassed for actually trying to deliver for folks back home. Congressman Fred Upton was one of just 13 Republicans to vote for the president's infrastructure bill last week. Partly thanks to Upton's vote, more than $10 billion will head to Michigan to help fix those lead pipes, along with bridges and roads. Despite that, one of Upton's constituents left him this voicemail. Traitor. That's what you are. You're a piece of traitor. I hope you die. I hope everybody in your family dies. You piece of trash mother. Voted for dumb You're stupider than he is. He can't even complete a sentence. You dumb mother traitor, piece of piece of trash. Hope you die. Hope your family dies. Hope everybody in your staff dies. You piece of traitor. And they say political discourse is dead. You know, I I know this is terrible, but if you look at the bright side. He's just saying things that are eventually gonna happen. We are all gonna die. All our families are gonna die. So on a long enough timeline, he's just stating facts. At the same time though, I will admit this is really disturbing because what kind of person leaves voicemails anymore? Yo, that shit is creepy. Just write that shit on Insta comments like a normal person. What's amazing to me about this situation is that this partisan anger, it's happening over an infrastructure bill, people. Infrastructure. I mean, I would get it if the new roads they were building all led to an abortion clinic, or if they were adding special carpool lanes that were just for non-binary people, but it's just fixing things for everybody. So I I don't get the anger. I mean, this dude was so furious by the end of it, he was running out of people to threaten. I hope your family dies and your staff dies and your friends from college and the guy at Starbucks who knows your order. I hope he dies. I hope my family dies and you feel guilty about it. God damn it. You know, sadly, this is the climate that public officials have to deal with these days. Congress members are receiving so many threats that now they're just gonna have to change their call menu. Yeah, it's gonna be like, to ask a question, press one. For office hours and address, press two. 
to tell your representative to go f themselves out of their ass Press three. Trevor, I think you're misunderstanding here. That guy was just speaking American. He was just saying, I wish you would read the details of the bill because we, need, we believe that the state should decide where the funding should go instead of the federal government. I, like, I, right, I'll, I'll speak American to you right now. Okay. F you, f your family, I hope you die, I hope they die. What I was really saying in American is, can you come over for Thanksgiving? I'd really love to have you. Wow. Am I invited to Thanksgiving? Yeah, of course, f you, yeah. Okay, course. cool. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Now, while most of Congress is arguing over infrastructure and social services, Josh Hawley, senator from Missouri, and that guy at your high school reunion who keeps telling everyone how much his watch cost, has his eye on some much, much bigger balls. Men are no longer men. That is the lament of Republican Senator Josh Hawley, who's really trying to make masculinity a political issue. The left-wing attack on manhood says to men, you're part of the problem. It says that your, your masculinity is inherently problematic. It's inherently oppressive. As conservatives, we've got to call men back to responsibility. We've got to say that spending your time not working, and we have more and more men who are not working, spending your time on video games, spending your time watching porn online while doing nothing is not good for you, your family, or this country. Okay, first of all, working and watching porn are not mutually exclusive. Plenty of men have figured out how to do it. It's called multitasking, Senator. And honestly, I'm surprised that Josh Hawley is criticizing porn because that's the last place that upholds traditional gender roles. So as a pizza delivery guy or a pool boy, while the women are cast in traditional feminine roles like stepmom, stepsister, or step cheerleader. And don't get me wrong, don't get me wrong. There is an argument to be made about the negative effects of excessive porn and video games on society, but to blame it on the left-wing attack on manhood? Yo, that shit is ridiculous. You know why people are watching more porn? Because it's too easy now. Do you know how much effort it took to watch porn back in the day? You couldn't just pull it up on your phone. You couldn't just type something into your laptop, no. You had to ask to borrow a sticky old magazine from your older brother's cousin's friend. And he buried it in a secret spot out in the woods. So you're out there in the woods, trying to find this magazine, covered in dirt, fending off chipmunks and owls. You get lost out there because you didn't have an iPhone yet. So now you're wandering around the woods, you're hungry. But all you brought with you was the lotion. So now you're eating the lotion. And finally you give up on finding the magazine and you just rub one out to the hottest tree you can find. Is that the dignity you're talking about, Senator Hawley? I nearly died in those woods, man. I nearly died. Yeah, Trevor, this is, this guy is talking about how porn is disgusting, like someone who just finished jerking off the porn. You know what I mean? Like give him 15 minutes. He'll be back on the porn. He'll be like, you know what? You know, porn, sometimes it's okay. Also, I'm so confused once again in America. Is this the country of freedom or not? It's like we're free to take the vaccine if we want, but we, we're not allowed to jerk off and play video games. What is freedom for then? I mean, also this guy, like, uh, he's talking, he's also blaming left-wing people for video games and porn. It's not like, like it, it, it's not like Bernie Sanders is going, we need free college tuition, free healthcare, and to yank it to these hoes. That would be a great switch for Bernie, I'm not gonna front. Yeah, I mean- if He you would did... surprise people if that's what he came out and said. I know, it's just so confusing. Uh, 
look, uh, look, by the way, if, if Senator Hawley thinks that men aren't learning responsibility because they're playing video games, on the other hand, like, maybe the solution isn't to spend less time gaming. Maybe the real solution is to make games that teach men better lessons. From the studio that brought you Grand Theft Auto and that horse version of Grand Theft Auto comes Grand Theft Minivan. The game that teaches you to be a responsible husband and father. You'll learn about the dignity of a hard day's work. Having a job is its own reward. The responsibilities of raising a family. Buckle up, Frankie, we're taking a shortcut. And how to resist pornography and casual sex. You're a disappointment to me and Senator Josh Hawley. Grand Theft Minivan, rated M for masculine. All right, when we come back, Dulce Sloan is gonna try to not get stung by bees. You don't wanna miss it. Welcome back to The Daily Show. There are a lot of stereotypes about what black people in America like and what they do. Well, Dulce Sloan wants to break down those stereotypes in our brand new segment, The Black Monomyth. I'm meeting with Cam and Summer Johnson, who are raising a family, and... <gasps> Killer bees. I'm going to follow them for the day to mainly find out why. Why in God's name not leave this honey farmer with death boxes to white people? All right, fine. I'm here. I don't know where I'm at. <laughs> What's the first step in this beekeeping situation? This is your first step. Where what? This will keep you safe. I'm supposed to be saving this laundry hamper? Yeah. Keep the bees off your face, no keep problem. Keep it cool. Mm. I think one of the reasons black people haven't gotten into beekeeping is because of the outfits. No. They're bland and boring. So I put my own together. You know, I just wanted to wear something like low key, slightly embellished, just, you know, real simple. Whoa. That, that's a bee suit. Right! A little pop, a little razzle dazzle. I mean, you look like a big flower. They might try to pollinate you. She's gonna get stung. All right. Now, as black people, we're in a constant state of danger, right? What made y'all want to be in more danger? <laughs> so we moved out to the suburbs when Zach, our second child, was five years old. He had really bad seasonal allergies. He struggled with asthma. We'd be in the emergency room, you know, a couple times a year. And so we wanted something natural instead of pumping his body full of steroids and medicine. And so we read about raw honey, right? The anti-inflammatory properties, how good it was for him. We said, you know what? We got some land. Let's experiment with beehives. And we got hooked. Hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. That's not a jump nobody makes, right? Like, you know, like, oh, my kid is lactose intolerant. Let me start an almond farm. It actually worked. He had no, like, allergies or asthma after. We cured him in a year's worth of honey. Turns out, if you have seasonal allergies, local raw honey has healing properties with allergens native to your area. Over time, a person may become less sensitive to that pollen. So basically, raw honey saves lives. That's cheaper than health insurance. Like I've been saying from the beginning, more black people definitely need to get in on this. It's more black people who beekeep than you think. Yeah. Uh, it's predominantly white, but it's changing. Okay, so there's y'all and... Dozens, we know dozens of beekeepers. Every A state. dozen is only 12. <laughs> well, that's fair. So what is the reason that like beekeepers for the most part are white? I mean, there's a lot of like 
there's a lot of like sy systemic reasons of like access to like land and I mean you do need some space to beekeep and so uh, you know we always admonish African Americans to buy in the country too mm -hmm. so they'll have more land and there's more agriculture going on so uh, land and racism got it all right yeah if sacrificing myself will inspire others in the black community to become beekeepers then I'm ready to meet these bugs with dagger butts. But mainly, I'm doing this because I'm stuck in the middle of nowhere in New Jersey and can't get an Uber home. Well, it's a good thing your son wasn't allergic to electricity. I'll be the first black Amish people. All right, hold up, hold up. What? This is too many bees. I am not comfortable. This doesn't feel like a safe space. How do you make them, like, calm down? Um, Smoke. Yes, that yeah. will keep you safe. Summer puts lavender in it. So it's like flavored smoke. Sure. These bees are just vaping? Oh. Yeah, so it simulates like a forest fire, right? So they're, they're distracted from us. The intruders are thinking. How do I get out? How do I get out of this? And they just get calm. So the smoke makes them think that their hive is on fire. But they get calm about it. Yeah, because if my apartment was on fire, I'd be real calm. <laughs> Sounds insane. My only knowledge of bees is that a swarm of them killed Macaulay Culkin and my girl. Yo, man. So if they'll do that to a little white boy, I don't know what they would do to a grown black woman. Ready? We're opening the box? Yes. One, two. They look like they're getting mad. Three, let's do it. Ah! It's dripping! Smoke them, smoke them. That's your job. Nice. Keep them smoked. See? You're yes, great. girl. Doing great, see? Calm them down. See all this honey here? Oh, they just busted out the front. But it's see how calm they are? See, you're not getting stung. If they were aggressive, they'd be stinging the front of your veil. Oh, so if they're mad, they go for the face. Yeah, they go face. for the face. Woo! I'm like, so you want to look for the queen in the bottom chamber. You want to make sure the hive is healthy and those bees can go off to another hive and find a queen or vice versa. Well, yeah, you got to take care of the queen first uh, in any situation. That's why my doorman gives me my packages before anybody else in the building. It's kind of obvious that she's not, like, aware of beekeeping at all. Um, so can you tell me more about their bee? Behavior. See what I did there? Now, isn't honey just regurgitated? Bee vomit. Yeah, it's bee vomit. Hey, America, honey is bee vomit. <laughs> did you know that? So now we'll now we'll we'll go. We'll take this one and go in there and harvest, and we'll show you how to extract it. What began as a beautiful story of parental love has blossomed into a trailblazing black-owned business. This is pure yumminess. What do you think? It's really good. And it has been inspiring to see the symbiotic relationship that has formed between humans and nature. Just keep me away from them fucking bees. So, young Zachary, <laughs> you see that your parents have done all of this and they got a whole bunch of death boxes in the back. They worked very hard to keep you alive, young man. What do you plan to do with your life? I mean, I already like try to pitch in and do the most I can for the honey and for the business. Okay. What have they done for you? <laughs> well, my name is on it too. It's Zach and Zoe, so this yes. is for me too. Listen, our, our hope through this whole thing is that we've inspired uh, more people to be beekeepers, especially more people of color, yes. to keep bees. Mind your beeswax. The puns. To uh, everybody. Anybody That's who reaches out, trouble, yeah. we're willing to help. Help them get started, help them point them in the right direction, talk about the books, the beekeeping clubs. Those who can do it, you can do it. Yeah. I really hope we made a beekeeper out of her, you know? I think we did, right? She's not too far from us. Trash! No. Trash! No! 
Thank you so much for that, Dulce. All right, when we come back, Emily Ratajkowski will be joining me on the show. So don't go away. Welcome back to The Daily Show. My guest tonight is a supermodel, actor, entrepreneur, and debut author, Emily Ratajkowski. She's here to discuss her new collection of essays about empowerment and our culture's commodification of women. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. This is one of the most interesting and complicated books I've ever read about this subject. <laughs> okay. No, because when I, when I read it, I think a lot of people, you know, fell in love with your writing. It was for, um, was it New York Magazine? Yeah. Right, and mm -hmm. it was an interesting take on a subject that we thought we knew everything about, you know? What does it mean to be a model? If you're a model, then it means you feel a certain way about your body, you love mm -hmm. everything about the industry, but from the book and from everything you've written, it seems like it's really complicated, no? It's really complicated, um, not just about the industry, but I think for women in general. Um, there's a sort of negotiation you do with how you want to represent your body in the world as a woman every day. Um, and I think that's sort of what I'm interested in. Obviously, my experience as a model, um, which is an industry built on the way you look, is very specific. But I think every woman can relate to the experience of getting dressed and knowing, you know, sort of the negotiation of how tight do I want my shirt to be? How you know much do I want to cover up? And how am I going to use my sexuality to my advantage or, or not? I think that's one of the, the most uh, intriguing parts of the book, uh, you know, and I hope, I hope a lot of men read it as well because some might think, oh, okay, it's my body, this is a lady's book, and it, but, but it's really just a book from a woman's perspective on, and, and I, I like how you say it in the book, I'll paraphrase it, the lenses through which your body is seen through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you the know? mirrors, the many mirrors. The many yeah. mirrors. No, I definitely hope a lot of men um, read it. And I was really happy when the, the New York Magazine piece came out, which was taken from the book proposal, um, how many men read it and connected to it. So. so let's talk about the journey of being a model. I mean, everyone goes, if you're a model, it means you want men to stare at your body, mm -hmm. right? That, that's, that's the assumption. Someone might say, well, Emily, how can you ever say that there shouldn't be a commodification of the body? if you yourself make money from a body that is shown in a certain way. How do you explain that to somebody? How do you, how do you even get into those conversations with yeah. something that is so nuanced and it's almost a paradox? Um, well, I mean, I think I'm criticizing capitalism ultimately. Um, and I'm not saying that women's bodies shouldn't be commodified. I think that it's just the system that we work within. Um, and I would never fault a young woman for trying to capitalize off of her body or her image. I think that, you know, there's, I'm here talking to you right now about my book. There's undeniable power that can come with that. Oh. For a long time, I believed that that was just empowerment and that was just feminism. And it's more complicated than that. Um, and that's what I'm exploring in this book. I don't think that there's answers to, you know, this is, uh, this is positive, this is negative. It's more complicated. How do you think you will know when you found it? Like, when will Emily say, you know what, this is it. I've completely claimed myself. Mm -hmm. I've owned my image. I've owned my likeness. What do you think that means for you? I mean, control is a huge factor. Um, and I think that, you know, empowerment is a word that just gets thrown around so much right. um, that I feel like I don't even know what it means totally anymore um, because power is such a complicated thing. I mean, is empowerment a feeling or is it, you know, the resources that you gain from, you know, financial success or influence? Um, but I will say that the, the closest I've ever come to kind of really understanding that word is through writing this book, um, not sort of through modeling. That hasn't felt like the place where I've had the most control. Um, but being able to write these, to create something really just in general um, is incredibly empowering. 
I think a lot of people will be particularly interested in um, your essay about blurred lines. Mm. You know, that, as you say, was your big break. This was mm -hmm. the moment where you're in the Robin Thicke video and everyone was like, who's that girl? This yeah. is amazing. This is the moment. And for a long time, you know, it felt like your relationship with the video was a positive one. It was mm -hmm. like you saying, yes, this is me celebrating my empowerment. Mm -hmm. I'm doing what I want to do. Over the years, it feels like you have taken a different stance to it or, or your, your views on it have evolved in terms of what you should or shouldn't have done. Talk, talk me through that and, and like, what do you think you would have changed or what do you hope would change going forward in that mm -hmm. type of situation? Because I'm assuming you don't want to live in a world where you say to women, oh, don't be naked if you want to be naked. No. But at the yeah. same time, what you're saying is be careful of how or when or who decides when you're naked. I don't naked. even know if that's what I'm saying. I mean, I think that it's more, um, you know, we're now having a conversation around OnlyFans and I think it's actually a really great parallel to my experience mm -hmm. on the board line set where you have this moment where women are saying, okay, revenge porn exists. Right. I know that there's this way, you know, that I can lose control over images of my body, personal images. Let me try to find a way where I can benefit from this. Right. Um, that being said, what we watched with OnlyFans was, you know, somebody decided, um, probably mostly men, said we want to clean up this brand and all of a sudden all these women didn't have access to making money. So right. they were actually the ones in power. Um, and I think that my essay about blurred lines is really more, not about what women should do, but about how to be, or how we can be aware of the power dynamics that are at play. So in that example, um, when I was 21, you know, I was talking about that video and I felt pretty defiant. I was like, I felt great. I was right. surrounded by women compared to other jobs that I was doing at the time where I was essentially a mannequin. It was like front of the shirt, side of the shirt, back of the shirt. I was having a great time. People asked me how I felt. Um, I had fun. But ultimately, when somebody crossed a line or something inappropriate happened, we weren't in a place of a position of power to to, to say anything mm. because we were on the clock. Um, and, you know, Robin Thicke was, it was his music video. Um, so as much as I, you know, felt like I was being being powerful and it was my choice, that wasn't just, it wasn't just that simple. And that's the reality that I want to talk about. So, so when you look at that, you know, one of the things I struggle with is trying to figure out how we process time and our opinions on what we experienced or how we viewed things through the lens of time. Yeah. When you look at somebody like Robin Thicke for that video mm -hmm. specifically, where do you think more responsibility could have been? What do you think could have been different from his side? Or do you think he should also be afforded an opportunity to say, oh, I thought everyone was having fun and now I would do things differently. I think that I'm really not interested in blaming individuals. Uh -huh. I think that we live in a culture that allows a lot of these situations to occur, um, even just on, not in professional settings, but on dates. Um, and that's, again, not to beat the, the horse, um, but, you know, power dynamics, that's what I'm interested in talking about and really revealing, um, because I think that, you know, in some ways, uh, maybe that was like an, an attempt at lev leveling the power for him. Right, um, right. And I think we need to look at, you know, how this culture is bad for both men and women. Mm. I love it. Um, congratulations on the book. Thank you. Congratulations on a healthy little baby and uh, congratulations so on me. being back on the catwalk. <laughs> Thank you. My Body, the book, is available now wherever books are sold. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be right back after this. Well, that's our show for tonight, but before we go, Thanksgiving is one of the busiest times for the Feeding America network of food banks and meal programs, and their mission is to bring nourishing food to people in need. If you would like to support them in their work, then please donate at the link below and help to make the holidays brighter for your neighbors. Until tomorrow, stay safe out there, get your vaccine, and remember, instead of watching porn, why don't you get a job?
a job-watching porn. Watch The Daily Show weeknights at 11, 10 Central on Comedy Central and stream full episodes anytime on Paramount+. Plus. This has been a Comedy Central podcast.